0: The following podcast is brought to you by the Bridge Bible Church in Somerset, Wisconsin. For more information, please visit our website at thebridgewire.com. It's good to be in the house of the Lord together. We are continuing in our series of Galatians, and this is the, the gospel of freedom we've been talking about, how Paul has been speaking to the church, not just a church, To Church is in the region of Galatia. He's speaking to many churches and he's speaking to us today, saying that salvation is not found by what we do, but it's found in who we are a part of. And it's by faith that we are saved. It's, it's the gospel of Jesus that has saved us. It's not what we do and it's not the works of our hands, but it's the faith that we have. And so we are in chapter four today, and we're just going to go through a few verses, um, but it's really going to just highlight what we started at the end of last week, talking about the love of the Father that he has for us, how God loves you, and what that looks like in the life of a disciple, and and how that transforms us. And so I hope that you're encouraged today as we uh, get into Uh, this passage of of Galatians chapter 4. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. Uh, The scripture will be on the screen. Uh, You can also use one of the Bibles in the chair in front of you. And as always, if you need a Bible, take the Bible in the chair in front of you. That is a gift from us to you. So, uh, Galatians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. It says this. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you. As we unpack these verses, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would teach us We ask that you would illuminate this revelation that we would be able to not just put it into our heads what Paul is saying and marvel at the complexities and of all that he's arguing that we would understand the truth underneath it that that would penetrate into our soul that we would understand what it means to be sons and daughters Heirs, loved of God, precious to you. So, Father, help us to, to just walk in a deep relationship with you because we spend time in your word today. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Verse 1, he says this. Going back to our argument here, he's arguing against the Judaizers who said, you must become a Jew to be saved you must do the works of the law you must do all that the jews required and also believe in jesus so there's there's this argument going around that it's not just by faith it's by the works by keeping the law of moses it's by doing all of the commandments this is how you find favor with god this is what makes him happy and paul is saying no you you came by faith you did not come by the work of the law and he's making this argument And so he gets to this portion of scripture about becoming, what it means to become an heir, what it means to come in to the family. So he says, I mean that an heir, one who is in, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. So in this Roman culture, you have uh, children and slaves in the household, and both are people who are under authority. In this situation, children, by virtue of their age and their inability to function individually, they need guidance. They need, they need structure. They need order. They need someone to watch over them. They're not just free to do whatever they want. Here he says, even though they're an owner of everything, eventually they're going to inherit all of it. But as a child, they have to be managed. They have to be watched over. So in the same sense as slaves, the slaves are under authority. He's like, both are under authority, but there's something very different. See, the slave has a master, and he's given tasks to perform for the benefit of the home. The difference is standing. The difference is status. See, the child one day will will grow to become an adult, and he will inherit, and he will have all the privileges that comes with being in the family. So when he or she does, they can take up all those rights and all those privileges that come with being in the family. Are you in the family of God? If you say, yeah, I've come to Jesus. I've come by faith. I, I, I know this gospel, Rob. If you're in the family and you're maturing, are you taking up the rights and privileges that God has afforded you? Do you even know what they are? They're in the scriptures. The promises that he has for his children, for his people, for his church. As we grow, we have the rights and privileges afforded to us through Jesus. But he's saying, as we're growing, the law is a guide. It helps. Verse 2, it says this. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. So, Jewish custom had a a set age of bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah. That's the Jewish time when the kids would grow up and and they would become an adult and they would have a celebration. It was a set age. And they still practice this today, bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs. But Paul is using a little bit different language here. He's writing in in a very Gentile way, in a very... Gentile understanding of of Rome and what's going on in the culture. And he's using this language here that they would understand. So the Romans had no set time. Can you imagine? No set time to become an adult. It sounds like our culture. It's like, we need a set time, I feel like, don't we? (laughs) Well, they didn't have a set time. The Romans had no set time. It was the father's discretion in the house. He watched over his children, and he would make the decision that they had matured, that they had gotten to a place where it was time for them to take on the responsibilities of being an adult. It was time for them to make the transition. They were to grow, and they were to to mature, and when the father felt that they were ready, that they matured, they would have this celebration called liberalia, And it was a festival that they had in in Rome, and it usually happened uh, actually around my birthday in March. So they would have this time where the fathers would say, this year, this year, my son, my daughter, they're going to become an adult. And at Liberalia, we are going to bestow on them all the privileges of what it means to be an adult in this household, to be part of the family, to have the, the freedom to, to no longer be a child, but to be an adult in, in this home. So there was this change in the status of the child from, from childhood to adult, and it was signified during this time of liberalia uh, of changing of togas. So they would replace their child's clothing. They had a set kind of clothing and toga that the children typically wore. So if you saw kids out, you would know, is this an adult or not, by, by the clothing they were wearing. You could tell. You'd be like, those are just little kids from down the street. And you say, oh, this is an adult from that household. Because they would replace the children's clothing with an adult toga, with a different style of clothing. It was symbolic. And so it also signified to the world around them, when you looked at that person, This is one in this household who now has authority, who now has been given the privileges and the rights. He is an adult. She is an adult. They have have matured. And the father says, this is the time. So Paul is talking about growing up, but as children, the law was there to guide them, to be over them. So Paul says, until the child has grown up, he's kept under guardians and managers. So in fact, the son or daughter had in the Roman culture, they actually had less freedom than some of the, the higher-ranking slaves in the household. Like, some of the higher-ranking slaves actually had more freedom to go and do and and to do different things in the in the city and in the culture. And for the household, they had all these things that they were allowed to do, but the children still couldn't. Until they matured. Until it was time. Until they moved into that next season. So, They were kept under managers. They were kept under uh, guidance. Verse 3, Paul goes on and says this, And in the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. So Paul is making the comparison to our spiritual condition. He's saying that just as the Jews were held under the law and imprisoned The Gentile world was held under bondage to the elemental or basic things of the world. This is a really interesting phrase, this elementary principles of the world. And people have tried to describe it in different ways, but I really think Paul is really making this statement relating to the law. It's in similar ways, all men are kept under sin. All men are, are bound by death. The elemental things, they could mean pagan religion or worldly thoughts. But it seems Paul is still contrasting this legalism that they learned by the Judaizers with the grace of the gospel received by faith. And it seems clear by going to the next couple of verses, letting the scripture speak for the scripture. Because in the next couple of verses, we're going to see that Christ was born of woman under the law, and Christ frees us from the law. So he's talking about the elementary principles being this law. You're under law. It's shown your sin. It's shown that you are shut up and imprisoned. That's what we talked about last week, that, that the law did not replace the promise. It made us ready for the rescuer. It made us ready for Jesus who comes and fulfills the promise to save us. But it also shows us that we were sinners. And that we need a great rescuer. And so he says you're held under the elementary principles. You were under bondage. You were under governors and, and, and those who were watching over you. The law was to watch over you and to help mature you and bring you to faith and bring you to salvation. At the right time, he talks about Christ coming and fulfilling the law in these next couple of verses. So the elementary principles are really just that. Those things that people are held under, that keep them in prison, keep them in bondage. So here's my question posed to you as we look at this verse. What what may you be held under right now? What might you be under? What, What might be keeping you in bondage in your spiritual life? What things or religious practices drive your life? Apart from the freedom of the gospel, what things have control? What does your spiritual life look like? I mean, you may be saying, I'm tracking with you. I have the gospel. I, I re- repented. I believe in Jesus. What are you talking about? I'm talking about how we can still fall under different forms of legalism and still be in bondage to some of the principles elemental things. Let me give you some examples. How about uh, Luke 18, 9 through 14? This is law-keeping versus grace. You have two men going to the temple. He says, Jesus, he also told this parable to someone who trusted in themselves, that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee Standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me a sinner. I tell you, Jesus continues, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Are you kept under law-keeping versus grace, pride, or humility? Do you find yourself comparing what your life looks like to others. I'm better than that guy. I'm doing it better than that family. My kids are like this, I'm glad they're not like those. God, look how great we're doing. Do you find yourself being puffed up with pride? That's an elemental thing that keeps you under bondage, keeps you from freedom. It's the humility before God saying, have mercy on me, meet me in this place. It's focused on God, on grace. How about this one? Law over relationship. Joshua 1, 5 and verses 8 through 9. Joshua 1, 5. I love this. This is kind of like, uh, it's, well, you'll see in just a second. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. So God's talking to Joshua. He's going to take over and take Israel into the promised land. That's his job. He says, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I love this passage because it actually makes a sandwich. It starts with relationship. He talks about keeping the law and knowing his commandments, and it ends with relationship. Here's what we end up doing. When we think of law over relationship, we strip off the beginning and end of passages like this where he says, I am with you, and surely... I am with you wherever you go. That's the relationship. We strip off the beginning and end and we say, got to keep these words and meditate on them and we will be prosperous and we will be successful. We have to do the law, keep the law. And we fall into the elemental things of law over relationship. What is God saying to Joshua? He's saying, relationship, you will keep the law because you will know me and love me and we will do this together because I am with you. And it ends with relationship. It's all connected to being in relationship. So the elemental things, are you ruled by legalism and trying to keep the law? Are you frustrated because, man, I just couldn't get up this week. It's such a busy week and I usually get up and I do that quiet time and I I know I missed it, God. I'm so sorry, God, I missed that quiet time this week. I was just so tired and kept falling asleep, Lord. And, And you know, Father, just give me more grace and more strength so I can get up in the morning and make you happy. Is that your life? Are you trying to just, you know, Make him happy by doing, yes, we meditate on the law, yes, we know his commandments, yes, we do those, but it's born out of relationship. I want to do those because I love him, I want to bless him with my life. That's what he is saying here. So, elemental thing would be law over relationship. Another one, law without a submitted heart. We kind of mentioned this a little bit, but I'm going to highlight it here Luke 11, verse 39. And the Lord said to him, now you Pharisees, cleanse the outside of the cup, of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. Are you playing church? You look good on the outside. This is a little different than the other one in the sense that this is an external form of religion, law on the outside, but I am not submitted on the inside. I know the gospel. I could probably give you the gospel, but I don't believe it. I don't live by it. I keep the rules. I show up to church. I do the tithe. If there's a mission trip, I probably will go on the trip because that's what you do. That's, you know, I need to show that I am a good follower, a good disciple, a good Christian. I do all the things. I check the boxes. But inside, if someone said to me this morning, hey, Rob, you know, why don't you just skip church? We're all going to go to sporties we're going to get breakfast and we're going to go hit the golf course for a little while and this and that and on the inside if i'm saying man i really would love to do that man that's what i want to do like ah, if i'm feeling like i gotta to go to church check your heart are you not submitted to god like our internal we should be submitted we should say i want to be with god's people you should have joy in this place As pastor, one of my passions that I want to see is that you wake up on Sunday and you're like, I get to go to church. (laughs) I get to be with each of you. I get to sing with you. I get to worship with you. We get to do Bible study. I get to pray with you later. I get to invest some time with my people. That I love going to this place. Not, I go to this place to look good for that outward appearance, but internally I am not submitted to God. That's law without a submitted heart. It's an elemental thing of the world. How about law of tradition over loving obedience? Matthew 15, 3, he says, and he answered them, and why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? John 15, 14 says this, you are my friends if you do what I command you. What does God say? You don't have to add to this. Why are you adding all of these different rules and regulations and all this? You know what I loved is getting together with other Baptist pastors. That's being sarcastic. (laughs) Because we get together and we talk about how we don't have any traditions in our church. We just, the Bible, the Bible alone, only, we have no, hey, y'all, we have traditions. (laughs) We have a way of worshiping. We have a, a culture that we have developed, and if we're not careful, we add to that culture, and we make one another feel guilty when you don't toe the cultural line, when you don't worship the right way, or listening to the right music, or reading the right book from the right author. Or when we, we set up this system of traditions, and then we sit here and say, We have no tradition but the Bible. We have traditions. It's going to happen. God created a beautiful tapestry of different cultures, and they are all to glorify Him. And we come as a unique people in this place, and how we are created and designed, and how we come together, we glorify Him. It's okay. But don't neglect what he's told us for our tradition. So he says, you're my friends if you do what I command you. So what does that mean? Hopefully right now I'm releasing you from some of these traditions that you may feel bound under. You should be listening to the Spirit of God speak to you through the Word of God, saying, this is how I want you to live, and you should be okay with that no matter what I think or anyone else thinks. You should say, this is what the Lord has for us. This is what he has said. This is how I am to live. And I may or may not do that tradition, but that doesn't make me more or less of a follower of Jesus. Tradition over loving obedience. We should love the Lord and obey him and do what he calls us to do. And the traditions should not supersede. That's an elemental thing. So, here we see Paul making this argument, being held under this. The gospel frees us from it. Verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law. But at the fullness of time, at the right time as he writes to the roman church in the book of romans at the right time christ came he died he was the perfect sacrifice for us that came at the perfect moment you ever wonder why jesus came when he came do you ever wonder why he had to come during that time of history under the romans uh, you know I, I've thought that. Have you ever thought that? Like, why did he have to come then? Like, why couldn't he have come way earlier? Why did we have to go through all this Old Testament stuff? Why couldn't He just send the I'm gonna send the promise and then the next child born, boom, there's the promise. Why couldn't he have done that? Because God had a perfect plan that would redeem and 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 fulfill all of the promises that he had. And Christ came at the right time, at the perfect time to enact the promise given to Abraham and to destroy the work of Satan, bringing victory over sin and death. The word, but, in the scripture here, introduces a shift. It's a change. Something changed. He says, you were under bondage. You were under the elemental things. You were held captive. But, at the right time, Christ came to set you free to bring redemption, to fulfill the promise. He he says he was born of woman, born under the law. Verse five goes on to say to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So verses four and five talking about Christ under the law, born under the law, and giving us freedom from the law is pointing back to the elemental things. So that Weird verse that's kind of hard to understand. He's talking about law there and in and, and a form of legalism. So he says Christ was born as we were born, born of a woman. And that may also be pointing in a, in a very vague way to his, uh, his immaculate birth, that it was not of man and woman, but it was of woman and of the Holy Spirit that he was fully man as well as fully God. But as man, as man, being 100% human like we are, born like we were, he had the ability to redeem us and pay our sin debt. He had to come as we are, take on flesh, so he could redeem us. It gives him the ability and it gives him the right to redeem us. Fully man, fully God, coming. He has the ability to come and set us free. We were slaves, but through Christ, we are adopted as sons and daughters. Going back to his analogy, you were slaves, but he changed your status and he adopted you into his family. You're now sons and daughters. You now have all the rights and privileges of being a son and daughter. You're no longer a slave. You're no longer just serving in the house under a master, being fearful of the master. No, you are now a child of the household. He is your father. He is a good father. He has adopted you in. Christ has changed your status. I love what Deuteronomy 15:15 15, 15 says. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. He's talking to Israel, and he says this to them. You will remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, in the land your God brought you out from with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. What is he saying here? Remember, and this, this is a picture of what Christ does. Remember, you were a slave and by the mighty hand of God, by His outstretched arm, He has redeemed us and saved us and brought us in. And what's the point of the Sabbath? It's to spend time in relationship with God. It's to honor Him. It's God rested; He He wasn't tired. Sabbath was made for you and me. Why? Because on this day, when we Sabbath, Shabbat, Shabbat when we are here taking a Sabbath. We are focusing our heart and our mind and our affections on the one who saved us, on the one who pulled us out of slavery and brought us into a new land, a heavenly land that we are looking forward to, a land that is absolutely flowing with milk and honey. It's all in relationship. He loves you. He did this through Christ, changed your status, and says. You're my child now. Well, look at verse 6. He says, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. How many of you love this this verse right here? Yeah? Hopefully you will all raise your hands at the end of this sermon. (laughs) Because Christ has brought us into the family, because we have been brought into the family, we have received the Holy Spirit. By faith, you come, and when you come to Him by faith, the Holy Spirit is given to you as a down payment to seal you, that you belong to Him, you are His. And the Spirit is poured into our hearts. The love of God is poured into our hearts. The Holy Spirit makes us like Christ to the Father who calls out, Ahaba, Daddy. It seems to some, too intimate of a relationship. Have you ever been with someone who, when I was young in my faith, I was around some, some guys, and they were, they were more mature in their faith. And one guy was praying, and he was just, the way he was addressing God just seemed way too familiar. You know, I was just like, and have you ever been around someone who has ever been like throwing the word "dude" into their prayer as they're addressing God? Just it feels irreverent. You're just like what, like you know, heavenly dude, you know? It's like you can't call him that. Like, and and I think for some, this idea of Abba is the same way. It's like Abba, Daddy. You know, you're you're, you're praying with somebody and they're like. Hey, Dad, you know, I'm just standing here with Rob, and we're just, you know, praying about this. And and it just sounds like they're just talking to Jesus, like he's just another guy off the street hanging with you. And you just feel like, man, this doesn't make me feel right. Like, this is God. You're talking about God. You're talking to God. Like, this reverence. Jesus calls him Daddy. Calls the Father Daddy. He prays, Abba, Father. The Spirit poured into our hearts we too have that relationship like Christ with the Father that we can call him Daddy. Some say this is just too intimate. It's too familiar. Like I can say Daddy to, to my human Daddy here on earth. I can say that that's okay, but, but it's too irreverent, too familiar for God. Yet God gave us that spirit of Christ and that's how intimate God the Father and God the Son are, and through Jesus we have access to the same intimacy, not just to the throne room of heaven, not just access to the Father to pray, we have access to the same intimacy with the Father. I' let that sit on you. The same intimacy with the Father that Jesus had, through the Spirit you have it. He redeems you, and you can say, Abba, Daddy. Jesus prayed like this. Mark 14, verse 36, just give you an example. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Here, Jesus praying in the garden before his death. In one of the most gut-wrenching moments, knowing what he's about to endure at the cross, calls out, Daddy. All things are possible for you. But not what I want, what you want. What do you want, Father? Son, the plan is that you would go, you would die, so that all of us sitting in here today can call him Daddy. That was his will, that he would die for us and bring us into the family. And it says that we cry out, Abba. So we come to our Father with confidence. You call out with confidence. We can ask him anything. We can know that he hears us and loves us just as he always heard Jesus. Look at John eleven forty two. 42. Jesus says this, I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. So he's like, I'm praying to you, Abba. I'm praying to you, Daddy. I'm Father in heaven. I'm praying to you, and I know you always hear me. But I'm doing this now so that all of those who hear believe that I am the one who is redeeming them, that I am the one that you have sent. And as Paul is saying, now you have the spirit of Abba, Daddy, and you, and he hears you the same way he heard the Son because you've been brought into the same intimacy. So in the most gut-wrenching moments and the best moments in the in the times when you're sick, I I'm just, you know, an illustration from last night, my little Greta, sore throat, just came on. She says all of a sudden, sore throat, and everything. And and when your kids feel bad, they just, man, the whole house feels bad. You know, it's like when they're miserable and they're just like, I don't know, and they're just, you know you just feel awful for him. You're like, oh, I'm just so, I feel so bad that you've, or you're suffering and you're and your throat's sore, and then you're like, you're trying to do all the little things, and they're like, I don't want to take the medicine because I don't want to swallow, and, I don't and all that stuff, right? But did she, did she be like, dad, dad? No, she was like, dad, you know, she's calling out, daddy, I need you, dad. With full confidence that I'm going to hear, and I'm going to come, and I'm going to, meet her need. I'm going to minister to her, love her in the moment that she needs me. That's what scripture is saying. We call out with confidence, Father, Daddy, whatever it is we want to talk about, he's ready to hear. He's ready to respond. He says, I hear you the same way I heard Jesus when he spoke to me, when he got away and we were praying. I heard him and I hear you That's what Paul's saying to us. Verse 7, he says, So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So he says, get it straight. Get this straight. Like, put this in your mind right now. That you are no longer a slave. You're not a slave. But you're a son. You're a daughter. Church, don't live like a slave. That's uh, all too often. That's what our Christianity looks like. Like, we're under legalism, we're under law, we're under this, and we're, we keep on guilt and shame, and we don't even want to lift our eyes to Abba, Daddy. We're just like, I don't, you know, I'll do better, I'll do better, Dad, I'll do better. No, he's a loving father. And we don't have to live like slaves because he's made us his children. We don't have to be afraid that we're under a stern master trying to keep the law. Rather, we can live as children of light. We can delight in God, spend time worshiping and praising him. As you know the Father more, as you know him more, pray and ask him to work in your life. Why? Because he hears you and he's a good father. He gives good gifts. He wants to have the conversation with you. He wants to know what's going on in your heart. He already knows, but he wants that intimate relationship with you that he has with with the son because you are a son or a daughter. So as you know him more, Pray more. Ask him to work in your life. And as you continue to grow as a follower of Christ, as you continue to be transformed and changed, ask your Father for all kinds of things in Jesus' name. I think we don't ask enough. I think we we get to this place where... I'll give an example. So I'm doing a class and I'm learning and growing in, in the spirit and, and all that the scriptures say about God as the Holy Spirit and, and trying to understand a lot more. And we were talking about some things in a breakout session. And I said, I believe the church, not just the church, but like church in general. I believe the church believes in healing. But we kind of come to God in this sense of like, well, God, we know you can heal, and we're going to pray for the surgeon, we're going to pray for the medicine, and that's probably how you're going to work it. You know, like, like, if that's how you do it, then that's great. And, and we don't ask. We kind of, at times, stop short. We just need to ask him for things. Like, we need to know, God, all things are in your hand. My brother and my sister, they're suffering. Would you heal them? in the name of Jesus, in the name of the one who's redeemed us, would you just bring healing? Would you bring healing to your people to stay? Would you miraculously move so that when they go and see that doctor, when they go and they have to have that surgery done, God, that the, the, the test would come back totally negative and clear, that they would not need any of this, and that your majesty and glory would just be elevated in front of all who are in this circumstance, that the joy of your people would, would just, Be full because you are a good, good father. Would you move on behalf of your people? And I think we get to this place where we don't even just ask that. We caveat it. But even if you don't, just asking for all kinds of things. Does God heal every person every time? No, we know that. There will be a healing one day. We'll... All of us will have a glorified body and God works in different ways, different times, but asking for all kinds of things. That's the point. And so some of you are like hearing this, you're like, I think I don't like Rob's theology on healing. <laughs> the point is ask him. Ask him. You ever you ever want something? And you're too afraid to ask your mom and dad for it when you're growing up? I was that way. I'm, I'm sure all of us kids were. You know, it's like, I really, really would like to have fill in the blank. But I don't know if my dad's going to like that. I don't know. Like, I, if I, it seems trivial. Oh, I, don't, I shouldn't ask him for it. And you talk to somebody and say, well, just ask him. But you just ask him. I mean, what's the worst thing you can say? No? I mean, just ask your dad, right? And then you ask him. And they're like, Absolutely. And then you're thinking, I should have asked sooner. And then after they say yes, some of those responses, some of those requests at times when you see the goodness of of your earthly parents and you know that your heavenly father is even better and loves you even better and gives you good gifts, you ask for more things. You're like, how about this? How about this now? God, I'm going to be doing this. with. How about this? You know, like you just want to come and you just want to bring everything to him. Why? Because he's a good father. And when he says no, we don't have to understand it, but we know that that's a good gift too. He says, I have a different thing happening right here. I have something different happening. And your father, your daddy, knows what you need. Even before you asked me, I knew what you needed. And in this circumstance, this is what I'm doing. You don't understand it. The answer is no, but it's for your good. And later on, We all have that time where we're giving testimony. You know, I was praying for this thing months ago. I just couldn't figure out why God kept saying no. And then this happened. And then you're like, oh, now I get it. Like, because if he had said yes here, then this wouldn't have happened here. And this was so much better. That's, That's our father. He sees the beginning to the end. He knows what you need. Ask him, though. Ask him. Call out, Daddy, Father, ask in Jesus' name, and the Father will fill you with joy. John 16, 24 says this, Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. That's what he wants. He wants to fill you with his joy. So pray and ask and seek and knock. Come and he will fill you with joy. We can ask, seek and knock with confidence because the spirit has been put into us that calls out Abba, Father, 1 John five fourteen, And this is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. I love that John says, he hears us. John's not giving you like, you will get whatever you want to slap Jesus' name on it like a bumper sticker and it's a good done deal. No, he says, he hears you. And you come to him with confidence. You can ask anything and have that intimate relationship with him and he will work in the midst of that conversation with you. And he hears you. That's also a way of John saying, he sees you. He sees you, what you need, where you are, what you're struggling with, what you're thinking, what, what your hopes are, what your anxieties are, what your fears are. What He sees it. He hears you, and he works in it because he's a good father. So what does your relationship look like? Just take a quick assessment of your, of, of your relationship with daddy today. What does your relationship with your heavenly father look like? Does it look at all like what I've been talking about? What are you asking for? What are you asking for? What what would the spirit have you ask for? You're like, I don't know what I'd ask for. Don't you just love those kind of questions? If you could have anything in the world, what would you want? And then you're like, that's what it just felt like, right? What are you asking for? You're like, I don't know everything, nothing. I don't know. You know who knows what you need? The Father. You know who knows what you need? The Holy Spirit, because he is God, and he's in you. And you know, you can ask the Spirit to show you, what should I be praying for? And if I'm asking in his will, he's, gonna, he's going to work in that, and my joy is going to be made full. What are you asking for? If you don't know, ask God to show you what you should be praying for, and he'll show you. He's a good, good father. What Paul is pointing out in our passage is that the Christian life is a relationship with God, who delights in his people. God delights in you. When you stand up and you sing and it sounds the way it sounds, a joyful noise. Some of you guys are really great, some of you are like me. He delights in it. He doesn't care. He loves it. He receives it. He's delight. my children are singing. They're singing to me. They have relationship with me. I love them. I delight in them. This is what Paul's saying. This life is not by works. It's by faith. In a God who delights in his people and his people delight in him. Do you delight in him? That's how you get to Sundays where you can't wait to get to church because you're delighting in God. You're like, I just want to be with his people. I just want to be in that place. I just want to sing songs. I don't know. There's something about it that just energizes me. You know what that something is? It's the presence of almighty God with his people in worship. And you're like, there's no better place than that. That's where I want to be. It's Sunday, let's go, get in the car after we have our arguments and the whole fallout and the whole deal, and we're gonna get there. But here's the beauty about the bridge. I can walk in and be like, we had an awful day, thank you, and we're gonna worship Jesus, you know? I don't have to walk in and be like, everything is great. Why? Because we know. We're family. We love each other, we encourage one another, and we say, come, let us do this together. And if you're on the mountaintop, sing out. If you're in the valley, sing out. It doesn't matter. He delights in you. He sees you. He hears you. He will meet you where you are. And he will work in his people to encourage you and to love you. This is what Paul's talking about. This is the gospel of freedom. So with faith, we don't just get salvation because that's where we focus all the time, right? Come to Jesus, you get eternal life. Thing in heaven, you get salvation. Sin forgiven. We, we stop there. You don't just get salvation. What is Paul saying? You get a perfect father and a beautiful family. Will you stand with me? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this word. Daddy, you're so good. And we are a needy people. And you love us. You don't judge us by the depth of our need or how good or how hard we've fallen. You just love us. We don't understand that grace, but we're so thankful for the Son. Thank you for sending Christ to come and be our savior, our rescuer. And not only that, Lord Jesus, you are our bridegroom. We long for the day when we can behold you face to face and see you, to to behold you with our glorified eyes, to just stand in your presence, and, Father, to give you praise for all that you've done in spirit you who work among us and in us and empower us and, and illuminate the love of the Father and illuminate the Son, we thank, we're so thankful for you. We're so thankful that you call us into deeper relationships with the Father and the Son. And in doing so, we know you even more. So, we, we just want to Take an assessment of our lives. What does our relationship with you look like, Daddy? Will you show us? How can we delight in you more? What needs to be transformed and changed? What, what good gifts should we be praying for? Father, we just want to know you. And we just want to love you. For you are worthy of all of our love. And it's in the name of Jesus I pray. Thank you for listening. The Bridge Bible Church stands to exalt the name of Jesus. We seek to be a community that gives glory to Christ above all things and welcomes all people to join us in worshiping him. If you don't have a church home, consider visiting ours. We are ordinary people who want to live life with authentic faith. For more information on how to get connected, deepen your faith, and experience what God has for you, please visit our website.